Hi, Future Judy here. This uh, podcast had some audio errors in it. So Caitlin got some new, got a new microphone, which is fantastic. Audio quality sounds a little better on that front. But there was a feedback occurring through her headphones, picking up my voice and echoing it back to me. I tried to fix it uh, in post, but uh, it's not uh, great. It's still there. And that left me with the decision to either scrap this episode or go for it anyways. And I figured I'll just put it out there with this warning. And so if the audio is intolerable, I'm sorry. We'll have the uh, audio issues, issues fixed for the next episode because uh, I think there's an easier uh, fix to do, but I can't uh, fix it with a uh, little audio editing. So uh, sorry for that, but uh, I, it's not through the whole thing. So don't worry. It's not the entire thing. And it's only when I speak. So, <laughs> so if you like what Caitlin has to say anyways, it might still be worthwhile to listen to. But I just thought I would put this warning up front. Thank you very much and enjoy the show. Fake, fake, fakety, fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and then talk about the Great Reset with my friend Caitlin. Great. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing okay. I am recovering from a minor infection, so feeling a lot better now. Yes, I love we've. It's interesting because there's a global pandemic happening, and you and I keep getting ill, but for uncovid related things. <laughs> oh yeah, this this year I've been sick countless amount of times, and I've been a person where it's just illnesses never really hit me that hard. Like I might get like a cold a couple times a year, but this year it's just like, let's just, you know, swamp it all on top of you. <laughs> and I'm not a doctor, but my, my speculation on this is just like, because of COVID and, and all the things that are happening there, there's like an increase of stress, I think, which is having negative effects on our body. But maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's, that's personally what I'm feeling right now. <laughs> At the same time, I think this is a good opportunity to get sick because you could just stay home and you don't have as much pressure to like go into work. And you can always just tell your boss if you have to go into work, oh, I'm not feeling good. I might might have COVID or something like that. And they just like let you stay home. No worries. Even canceling appointments and stuff, super easy now. Which should be the way that it is always, let's be real, you know? It should be that we shouldn't be forcing our workers to go and work while they're sick, you know? Yeah. No, I wasn't feeling too well a couple of months ago, and I had a hair appointment, and they have a policy. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, not just workers, it's consumers as well, right? Like, um, if you if you go to this hair salon and you cancel, the next time you come in, they'll charge you a $50 fee for canceling. Yikes. Even during COVID. Uh, they stopped it because of COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's like within a certain time frame. So if you cancel within like 48 hours, that's okay. But after that 48 hour mark comes up, that's the problem because they, the thing is they can't get people to take right. your spot and then they lose money. So that's the argument. But at the same time, like unexpected things happen to people, right? You could have like kids that you unexpectedly have to go pick up from somewhere or, you know, you get sick, and like in my case. And so it was just so much easier to cancel that appointment. And I feel like all these policies um, around like services and retail goods have just been so much easier to deal with. Yeah. 
even like returns, returns are like super easy now, right? Like before companies would like, you need to have the receipt. It needs to be in like, you know, a two week time frame. Now it's like, take your time. See, back in the spring when the, when we had the initial lockdown, I actually had an incident where the return policy was much more difficult to deal with because they the curbside pickup accidentally gave me the wrong product and they wouldn't like take it back in exchange for the product they did want. Because <laughs> they're like, once you've touched it, you've now like infected it. You know what I mean? So it was like, I couldn't return it to the store to get the product that I wanted. And then I was like, I was like, well, why don't I just buy the thing and you just give me the product that I wanted? And they were just like, not understanding what I wanted. So it's just like, fuck it. I'll take, <laughs> just take what you gave me. I walked away. I that's even, it. that's, yeah, that's a bad business model because what they should really be doing is just letting you keep the wrong product and then giving you the actual product you ordered. You know what I mean? That's what I thought. I'm, you're on watch. They Rona, screwed up. Rona Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling you out by name, Rona. I was it was gardening products for when I was starting my garden back in uh, March or I think it was mm. uh, uh, early April when I was starting that. But yeah. Anyways, with all that being said, we might as well get into it. It's the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on The Rebel from November 16th to November 20th. Andrew Lawton attends a press freedom conference, and Ezra and Andrew reminisce over the last time they went in person to this conference, and they got to complain to all the liberal reporters about how everyone is censored, how none of the reporters defend them when they're under attack by, like, the big government that's coming to attack Rebel and True North. This time, Andrew just gets to listen to the conference over Zoom, and it's less fun, and Andrew complains about that, because he just had to sit there with a sad face and uh, just listen. Ezra is mad that Andrew Scheer is still in the Conservative Party, after new allegations arise that Scheer employed some of his family members on the Conservative Party payroll while he was the leader of that party. Funny that this has Ezra so mad, considering he loves Trump and ignores the nepotism in his administration. Almost as if Ezra still holds a grudge against Andrew Scheer, who shunned Ezra after Charlottesville. Upon discovering that Dominion Voting Systems, which provided voting machines to some states during the election, is actually based out of Canada, Kian Bexty decides to harass their employees outside of their Toronto office. Kian claims they are rigging the election, and as evidence for this, the large office building where Dominion Voting System rents space, it also rents space to the Tides Foundation Canada, therefore proving that the American elections were foiled by Soros himself, even though Tides Canada is not connected to the Tides Foundation, which has received money from George Soros. But we covered that on a live stream on our Twitch channel, and it's up on our YouTube right now. If you wanted to go check that out, you can watch it there. Ezra claims that Canada's COVID restrictions are the worst thing to happen to our civil liberties since the War Measures Act, and maybe Japanese internment. Ezra thinks racial segregation for xenophobic reasons is comparable to closing some business during a global pandemic. 
Slavery was definitely worse, according to Ezra, but COVID restrictions are apparently the next worst thing after slavery. Can you believe that? (laughs) I can't. (laughs) That does not seem right to me. (laughs) Ezra speculates that recent increase in COVID deaths are not real, asking, are they just calling normal flu cases COVID cases? Hang on. So the flu virus just magically disappeared this year. Only 17 in the whole country. But we've got thousands and thousands of cases of COVID-19 that just happen to have identical symptoms. Coughing, sneezing, fever. Do you think, and I know this is crazy talk, do you think that maybe they're just calling the flu cases COVID cases? Do you think they might do that? Of course, Ezra doesn't cite any data to back up this dangerous speculation, but he does have an anecdote. A UK man fell from a ladder and apparently was included as a COVID death. I don't know. Here's a story out of the United Kingdom where a man fell off a ladder and died. But they later found traces of the virus in him, so they called that a COVID death. So that's the quality of statistical reporting you're getting. So it's the greatest violation of our civil liberties in at least 50 years. After falling from the ladder, the man was found both to be COVID positive and to have severe blockages in his lungs. The cause of death was determined not to be from the fall, nor to the damages done from the attempt at resuscitation, but as the result of congested lungs. It is easy to say this is a silly case if you just talk about the man falling off the ladder, but this does sound like a weird, yet very real, COVID fatality that Ezra is now using to downplay the severity of this illness. As a reaction to the election of Kamala Harris as vice president, Sheila Gunn-Reed and Ezra complain that the liberal media don't cover the fact that an Alberta politician for the United Conservative Party is also a racial minority. They then mock the mainstream media since they apparently called MPP KC Madhu a white supremacist after posing next to a Sheila Gunn-Reed illegal law and sign during the provincial election. Their argument seems to be that a black man cannot be a white supremacist, but we would like to remind our audience that beyond the shit Ezra himself has said over the years, he did host a white nationalist radio show in the United States last week. I don't know exactly what it is or what it's doing, but this is not human intelligence, okay? It's not human intelligence! And that is the week. Kaylin, there are two topics this week that I would like to spend a bit more time on. And the first is the issue of the Great Reset. Do you know what the Great Reset is? Not at all. <laughs> How? No, so back, uh, it's a little bit dated now because we're, we're a week behind on, on doing the show. But there was this video that uh, surfaced and started circulating across the internet of Justin Trudeau talking about the, that COVID allows for a reset. And the idea is that, you know, before, before COVID, things like climate change seem like an impenetrable barrier to like come over and, and cross. But now it's like we're entering a phase where some things now seem more possible than they did before in how to enact that change. So there's like an opportunity. We can reset our economy and build it back better than what it was before. 
is sort of like the idea. Building back better means getting support to the most vulnerable while maintaining our momentum on reaching the 2030 agenda for sustainable development and the SDGs. Canada is here to listen and to help. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. Conservatives have, uh, and conspiracy theorists specifically, have latched onto this and really, uh, they start like connecting dots. So you can find like, uh, so Justin Trudeau talked about building back better and Joe Biden did a bunch of speeches where behind him were the words build back better. And then they point out to like other European countries where their leaders have signs saying build back better. And the thing is, build back better is a catchy ass slogan. <laughs> and so it's amazing to me because they see like the, the like the dots being connected on some sort of like... You know that scene from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where he's sticking the pins in the board and you got strings attached to everything, you know? I've uh, actually never watched the show, but I know <laughs> the meme. <laughs> That's the thing. I've never watched the show either, which I know some people are going to be like, oh my God, you never watched the show. But uh, yes, that meme is uh, glorious. But the point is, it's like, it doesn't have to be a grand conspiracy that, you know, build back better, which, you know, you got the alliteration right there. <laughs> Three Bs in a row. Is just like, it's catchy. It has a good ring to it. And it's also like something that you can sell to people really easy. Oh, we're in a downturn right now? Well, guess what? We're going to build it back better. Like, <laughs> so it's like you can see how, how conspiracy theories like work. There's no evidence here. It's just a slogan that a lot of people have adopted is therefore some plot by a new world order that's trying to control us. Fun stuff. <laughs> now, you would think that it would end there, but Ezra has a particular angle that he wants to go on. And that is, have, have you ever heard of the, the Davos World Economic Forum? Yeah, so, kind of. I don't know too much about it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, I don't know too much about it either. I know they host these kind of like uh, conferences where you get a bunch of economists and they'll give presentations about how we can like change the world. And of course, you're going to have people talking about climate change and uh, pipelines and oil and, and, and about uh, how to build a better economic system and so forth. So anyways... This is what's happening at this Davos thing. And so apparently Ezra found this video that the World Economic Forum's uh, Twitter account had sent out, but then removed. And the title of the video was called, it said, you will own nothing, but be happy. <laughs> you will own nothing, but you will be happy. And Ezra reads this. It starts freaking out. How can you possibly be happier than ever if you own nothing and you have no privacy? No sane person would say that. No real person would say that. No, no one human would say that. Property isn't some capitalist theory. It's an expression of our interaction with the world. That this is the, the global, the globalist, new world order, world economic uh, elite are trying to steal everyone's property 
and like force us into these like communes where you own absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like slowly as the show has progressed, he slipped more into the conspiracy theorist camp, right? Of right, the, the right wing. But yeah. it's hilarious because as our Ezra has moved towards more conspiracy theories, so has my mother. It's almost like they're identical because I've already heard all of this, Jody. I've heard all of this from my own family members who call me every day and tell me that I work at a globalist university <laughs> and that the COVID vaccine is secretly a Chinese tracking device. I've heard it all. Have you heard the one that they're going to take all your property, though? And... <laughs> And you'll be happy. You're going to own nothing and be happy. Yeah, something like that, but not as like specific. Like it doesn't fall in line, but I've definitely heard the lines of like, the government is trying to steal my hardworking money and make me live this. My mom always says the kumbaya, kumbaya <laughs> lifestyle. That's what she says. And she's like, all you little commies, that Justin Trudeau commie, secret son of Fidel Castro. She says that every time. Oh every time you hear the word Justin, you hear the name Justin Trudeau, she has to mention that Fidel Castro is secretly his father and that Pierre Trudeau was, uh, Pierre Trudeau and his wife were swingers and he had orgy <laughs> Have you heard about these yes, things? Yes, Because there's a lot of conservatives who believe that. I love and I all think... the ones that try to compare like a young Fidel Castro to how Justin Trudeau looks. <laughs> like, do, you see how, do you see how white Trudeau looks? It's yeah. just insulting to Fidel. Like, <laughs> just fucking stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, it's just, yeah. Yeah. So my mom has this, this mindset that they're going to force us into communism. But then... She backtracks because I'll like get her to actually explain what communism is and she'll make it sound really good. That's the thing I don't understand. <laughs> but you can't force me to have that lifestyle. That's that's the issue. I want to live in misery. <laughs> I, want you, <laughs> I don't want you to force me to have a happy <laughs> No, she just doesn't want to force the idea of equality. She wants to force she likes the idea of survival of the fittest. But the thing that always gets me with this like survival of the fittest rhetoric from all these like conservative groups is like when Darwin was talking about survival of the fittest, he was talking about species groups. Yeah. So I never understood that. I was like, why do you want your species to die out? The whole point of this is to like reproduce to grow and strengthen your species so it lives. Yeah. And and like fitness, according to the theory too, is determined by environment. So it's not even about your fitness because you might stay the same, but your environment changes and you're no longer fit for that environment. <laughs> yeah. And the other part that really gets me is like what actually makes humans survive as like a population is our ability to cooperate collectively. Do you want to know what this Davos video was actually suggesting? Does it tie into all of this? Yeah, for sure. sure. So like it had to do with the fact of like, so for, I'll just frame this first. The video that he plays, he plays it three times on his friggin' podcast. And it's just like music with written text. <laughs> so, so as an audio podcast, I'm like, this is the most lamest. Like all I'm hearing <laughs> is this like happy, upbeat music. <laughs> and then he talks about it afterwards. But basically what this video is promoting is this idea of what I would describe as a sharing economy. And so what that means is like, they talked about how to, to reduce energy consumption, 
you could do something like rather than every single household owning like their own uh their own pots and pans for example there would be some sort of like communal supply that you like pay to like use for that night and then therefore you don't have to own your own pots and pans there will be like a set number that everyone has access to that has to like either pay or trade to use or something like that right so yeah, like, I've heard I've heard those ideas. Okay. And the thing is, like, to me, like, that's a cooperative society. It, it can be, depending on how you structure the society. Because, like, you and I are socialists, so we would probably argue that, like, we would want to remove the sort of, like, capitalist function of that system. Like, I don't think that the pots and pans should be, like, provided by Uber, who's profiting off of this. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like... The idea of having a community source that we all share because, like, I don't need a certain pot every night. Like, why Why is that such a bad idea? Like, we used to share all the time. What's wrong with, like, sharing? <laughs> you know? There are some issues that I do have with the idea of a sharing, um, a sharing economy. One of them is just, is just, like, hygienic. Like, I don't want to, there's like a lot of things that people have suggested to share that I'm like, I don't know where that thing has been. Well, I think this is why they described it in terms of like a central hub, right? Like it would be like if you had the pots and pans distributor, such that there would be regulations in place that everything that comes in, you would have to clean or whatever. It's the same thing. Like when you go to a restaurant, like you don't know that they didn't like fuck the, like the plates you're going to be eating <laughs> You know, yeah. but there's strong regulations in place and an incentive not to do that to people, right? So. The other the other issue though is convenience and time too. Because like if you think about it, if you have to like go through some huge bureaucratic process just to get a pot, it's just worth it to go buy the fucking pot. Cause it like there's just so many things like that I think about that I used to do were like even laundry. Like I I share a laundry mat with the residents in my building and I hate it. I hate it. If I could buy a washing machine, I would tomorrow. And the reason why is you get it where it's like you're waiting around for people to take their clothes out. Uh, people don't clean the lint off of the dryers, for instance. Um, other other issues too is like just lugging your laundry down there. Is It's just so much extra work in your day that gets added on. Like I do try to do these things where they're more green, more cheaper options as well. But sometimes it's just like, you kind of want to throw it out the window because it's just so much time and effort and the inconvenience is too much. And it's like, I only have so much time in the day to do all these things. And I like think of thinking of like working moms, for instance, right? Like that really disadvantages people in those positions because you're already doing so much throughout your day. You're going to work, you're taking care of kids, your schedule is already hectic. I can't imagine on top of it, the process for just getting things clean and done would just be so extraneous for no reason. Or to like order things. Yeah. Like, I don't there's know. some issues there's some yeah, issues no, I, I think i think you're what i would hope is like if this could come to pass that it would be done taking into considerations all the things that you're bringing up i don't know if it's possible i'm just saying like on the face of it it doesn't sound as ridiculously absurd as ezra initially wants to like make it 
You know what I mean? Like, cause like for him, he's making it sound like we're abolishing private property altogether. And we're now like slaves to like something where it's like, even, even if it wasn't just like for pots and pans and like the inconvenience that could come from that, but instead something like, like a ride share or, or some other kind of like uh item that you might not need all the time, such that it'll take up space in your home or like whatever. Right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with some of those ideas. Like I think, I think bigger things like cars, right? Like I don't understand why everyone has to have their own car other than people who live in more like rural communities or where transportation is not reliable. Right. Um, and, and there's other products and services that I think could definitely could be shared. I just can't think of any on the top of my head. It's just like there's some people who like are like, let's let's like share cleaning supplies. Like I heard an idea once in these like, you know, like little commie circles, right? Where one person pitched the idea that maybe we should have like shared mops and brooms and vacuums and and um apartments that all the residents could use on each floor and I was like could you imagine like sharing vacuum cleaners with your neighbor and like just the frustration that's going to be trying to find the vacuum track it down who has it things like that like that would just drive me nuts yeah and people's cleaning habits are so different like I, I vacuum like every other day so some people do it like once a week so yeah I was yeah. gonna say two things uh one is like the wear and tear uh, it seems like if you had a single vacuum cleaner for all those households, that vacuum cleaner would just start to decay. And what happens if it's the time that you want to use it that breaks down? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, exactly. But then it's also, I mean, so many people, like people's needs are so different when it comes to like that kind of thing. Like my having kids, I have to sweep once or twice a day to make the flowers. And <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> You know, and there's sometimes it's like I don't even know where they get the dirt. It's winter; they didn't go outside. Like, where did this dirt come from? But there's dirt here because kids, kids find a way. Yeah, and also we have to think about like a sharing economy. I can see definitely disproportionately disadvantaging marginalized groups, specifically women who get the brunt of these like these things, right? Like, because women don't even just get like the overburden of household chores, but even just doing things like taking kids places, right. Or like setting up appointments. And I even know, like, even in my own house, like I, I make appointments and arrangements and organize everything. Yeah. Which is why my caveat earlier was like, this might be something that would be cool, but like in a world that was way more socialist. Yeah, I think there's more steps that need to be taken before that we get there. But anyways, let's move on. We can move on to the second issue, which is the election. (laughs) And I know I said that I didn't want to talk about it anymore. But uh, of course, uh, the Trump Republicans keep dragging this out with really bad lawsuits. So Ezra and Joel Pollack uh, decided to talk about it. Before I get into what they talked about when they were on the show, I have to say, in order to fill out the lore of this podcast, so one thing that we talk about is Pollock's interrupting phone, right? So during a Joel Pollock interview with Ezra, his phone continues to go off, and it makes like mm-hmm. a ding sound, right? Yeah. Well, this week, like, that happened. But the most amazing thing happened 
was that <laughs> at the end of the interview, Ezra, well, li- Ezra literally had to cut the interview short because Pollock took a phone call at the end of the interview. <laughs> there might be some surprises. Trump might win a state he didn't win on election day or shortly thereafter. But um, anyway, we, I, I, I think this will wind to hopefully a, a, a pleasant conclusion. Uh, that allows everybody to move forward. Well, I don't um, think it'll be pleasant, yeah. but there will be a conclusion. Joel, we'll let you go. <laughs> Thanks so pleasant. much for your time today. Thank you. Whoops. All right, thank you. All right, you take care. Joel Pollock, Senior Editor-at-Large at Breitbart.com. What a pleasure to have him with us, as always. Oh, my God. And I was like, that is rude as fuck. That is, that is beyond rude. He does have time for Ezra. He's on to bigger and better things than Ezra. Like, in the past, like I just feel like Pollock just uses Ezra. Just use yeah, them. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, now with that out of the way, what are they going to talk about? So for anyone who, who didn't know, during this week, what they were focusing on was this now infamous uh, press conference. I don't know if you recall this, Caitlin, but it was the one where Rudy Giuliani started to melt right in front of everyone's eyes and like his hair dye was streaming down his face. Yeah, they're not sure if it was hair dye or like tanning oil. Yeah. <laughs> well, either way, he was melting in front of everyone. And uh, and Sidney Powell was there to basically accuse the voting machine company to be in cahoots with Hugo Chavez, who I believe has been dead since 2013. <laughs> Smartmatic has been associated with the Venezuelan government led by Hugo Chavez, which is openly hostile to the United States. And of course, as we all know, communistic and really uh, brutalizing its own people. Apparently there's some connection between the voting machines and Venezuela and therefore Hugo Chavez. And that's why the whole election is a fraud, according to Sidney Powell, and they have to give it to Donald Trump. That would be sort of fucking awesome if that was the case. What, that Hugo Chavez came back from the dead? <laughs> dead and, like, rigged the American... Or Hugo Chavez, like, planned this. Actually, I, read, I saw an article that was suggested to me on Twitter that was about how Hugo Chavez planted the seeds for this election. I didn't end up reading it, but I definitely, like, glanced at it and was like, hmm, really? Did he? Like... I would hope if Hugo Chavez is coming back from the dead that he would rig it for Bernie Sanders, though. <laughs> no, I know. That's what I'm like. Hugo Chavez made Joe Biden and Kamala Harris one? Mm, <laughs> not really sure. So I just kind of skipped over it because I was like, this is probably shit. Um, yeah. But yeah. that would be pretty cool. Like Hugo Chavez, just like a secret mastermind pulling his socialist strings in America. Yeah. And it really is shit. Like the connection, when she said that, everyone was like, what the hell is she talking about? And it's actually kind of convoluted. It's that Dominion. So she initially blamed it on Dominion voting systems. But the connection is actually with a company called Smartmatic. And so the argument at first was that Smartmatic is somehow connected to Dominion voting systems. But that's not even the case. They're like literal competing companies. So they compete for the same government bids to run elections in various states, right? So they're direct competitors. Now, Smartmatic, I think their founders are both Venezuelan. Okay. That's it. That's the connection. Like, it doesn't go any deeper than that. They've been a company in America for years. <laughs> you know what I mean? They have no connections to Hugo Chavez, and they're just like, 
what? <laughs> but they're Venezuelan, so therefore, uh, obviously, enemy of America, Venezuela. But that's the allegation, and I will say to both uh, both uh, Ezra and Joel Pollock's credit, they both agree that Sidney Powell seems kind of crazy. So I, I find her allegations a little harder to believe. I'm sure she believes them. She seemed to deliver them with a lot of passion. But they do like caveat it in that they leave some window of hope open for more investigation. So they're like, this seems crazy, but like, sure, we should investigate it. Shouldn't we investigate everything? I mean, the more we investigate, like that's just transparency. Shouldn't we just investigate? In that press conference, there was also a lawyer named Sidney Powell who made more dramatic um, allegations about a foreign internet conspiracy, I suppose, to literally revise and undo votes electronically. A spectacular claim that has yet to be proved, but some would say you save your evidence for the court of law, not for press conferences. There were a lot of workaday allegations yeah, like regular election fraud allegations in the press conference. What Sidney Powell talked about, this Venezuelan company changing millions of votes. I've never heard anything so spectacular like that in my life, and it makes me nervous when I hear something that spectacular because it's almost like I want it to be true to explain this election loss, but it feels like it's too far. How do you feel about that? Well, I think she's operating on a theory, and I've heard it from a couple of other people who are studying what they see are patterns in the data. And they're also looking at the ownership of some of these companies that run the voting machines and so forth. It all seems speculative to me. I mean, I can't rule anything out, but it's not the kind of thing that's going to be easily provable, even if it is presented to a court of law. You'd actually, you'd actually have to show evidence of a crime, what she's alleging is a crime. Which is ironic, considering all the stuff they say about the... Uh, investigation into Trump's previous election campaign. Yeah, it's absurd. But also, it's like, could you imagine if we just investigated everything anyone said? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's almost what <laughs> that's almost what these lawsuits are doing. Because so what's happening is Rudy, uh, the, who they believe is less crazy, and they argue he's less crazy because they say some of his lawsuits have merits, and they're evidence that some of the lawsuits have merits are these affidavits. And the thing is with affidavits is that they're literally people just saying stuff, right? <laughs> and so they're, they're just flooding the courts or they were, everything is sort of now in our timeline, everything is sort of ground to a stop, but they're floating these affidavits as just like, look, everything's a fraud because we got this person over here saying he saw something funny and this person over here said they said they saw something funny. And that's literally, uh, all they had. And what was even uh, absurd was, so for example, the, the two main cases, at the time that they recorded this, there was two main cases left, which still were not enough to like overturn the election. So the whole thing was just a, a silly sideshow anyways. But the two cases were this uh, one in Pennsylvania, and there was another in uh, Michigan. The one in Pennsylvania, <laughs> like this one was like so absurd. So the argument that they were making was that uh, each each ballot has like a procedure that it has to go go through, right? So you like you sign, date it, and fold it into this thing, and then you put your signature on the outside, right? You don't want the signature on the ballot because 
it's a secret ballot, but you need it on the front such that when you mail it in, they know that it came from you and not someone else and all this fun stuff, right? Now, not, not every ballot that comes in is going to be fully filled out. And what I mean by that is that maybe they put, uh, instead of like one, two, three fake street, they put like one, two, three fake and left street off. Technically, they didn't follow the rules. So should you keep that ballot or should you throw it out? Now, Trump's lawyers literally argued in court that you should throw that ballot out. <laughs> There's precedent that you actually don't throw that ballot out, right? There's uh, cases that I believe have already gone at least, I believe, all the way up to the Supreme Court. And it was a, a case that I want to say was in Chicago. I can't remember. But basically what happened was the, the judge was like, you, you don't want to reasonably restrict people from voting, right? So, okay, they left street off. How do you fix this situation? You give that person the ballot bot, ballot back. They write street. It counts. It goes in. We count their vote, right? Okay. And this actually, the case that went all the way to the Supreme Court, it was close enough that it did turn it in favor of the person who lost because of these thrown out ballots and gave it to, to him once they recounted without throwing out these ballots with like little mistakes. I think at this point, the, the, the mistake was like, you're supposed to tear your ballot off of something before you shoved it in the thing. And not everyone tore the thing off before they shoved it in. And so the question is, is not tearing off that thing really that integral to the fact that they voted? <laughs> you know what I mean? Such that you should disclude uh, these people from counting their votes, right? And yeah. So, and so the Supreme Court has been very clear at this. And of course, I think since uh, this episode, that one failed completely. But you got to think of too, is like, what remedy were they seeking? Because it's not, so they were going, look, some people forgot to put street after one, two, three, fake street. Therefore, we should just not count all the ballots. Like, how insane is that? <laughs> you know, the argument is like, we have one incident of such a slight error that therefore we should get rid of all the ballots. So for clarification, you're saying that not the ones that didn't include the street, but all of them. Turn the whole election to Donald Trump because clearly this small case of fraud means the whole thing's fraudulent. Anything to do to suppress democracy. <laughs> That's, you know, there's uh, this quote that says like democracy is like one of the worst systems, uh, but it's the only, the best one that we have right now. Yeah. Who says that? Is it Roosevelt? Oh, I can't remember, but I, I've heard that before, yeah. Yeah, this like I had a professor who would repeat it every single time and the course was on democracy and um, nationalism. That was the focus was it was really good. And he, that quote he would repeat over and over again. And it's really like stuck in my head throughout this election. Because <laughs> democracy is so flawed of a system. It doesn't make a lot of sense because you have these these stupid things. I mean, it did, it does work out in the end where you have Biden and Harris and all that, but like so flawed, so flawed and so ridiculous. You know what it reminded me of? Uh, you know, when you and I were running for elections in our uh, local union and just like having the people constantly complained about the process constantly and about whether electronic voting would work or not work. It, 
the whole and the whole like the real issue and thank god i'm not the president so i can say this the real issue was the people who were complaining were the people who were going against me in the election and they didn't want me having online voting to make it more accessible for members because they knew if i made it more accessible and i were to rerun again i would have won yeah 100% because their strategy cuz how we have it in our union is you have people they gather in a room and they vote there with physical ballots. And to me, that is so inaccessible and so actually, it's actually discriminatory in my, in my opinion. And I've made that argument to, to my union, which I've kind of had to fight about a couple of times. It's discriminatory towards women, people of color for many different reasons. There's, you know, we know from the literature, there's a lack of access to transportation for some people that may be in, you know, more uh, cheaper or lower income areas, right? Yeah. You or off have, campus for whatever reason. Yeah, off campus, maybe have to live at home, maybe have caretaking duties as well. It's it's awful. People who have to work multiple jobs to make it through, who can't be there at a very specific time because they don't have the flexibility. It's it's so discriminatory on so many different ways. Um, and I didn't like it. I wanted people to have an ability to come out and vote, even if I wasn't the winner. And I mean, but you see, like, it's just amazing. When I started like digging into this stuff, it's like, the comparison, I couldn't help but make it because it's like there's one side that just wants to do everything they can to make it so hard for people to vote so that they can get a limited amount of people that they think that they can get over to win to vote for them. When it's like people like you and I just want to make voting easier for everyone because we believe that democracy is at least a good thing. It's one way of getting your voice heard. The last one was the Michigan one, and this one was my all-time favorite because by the time they were recording, this was already starting to unravel. Basically, what happened was there was these two people who initially refused to certify the election for Donald Trump in Michigan, or sorry, refused to certify it for Joe Biden in Michigan because Joe Biden won. Uh, and therefore, if you prevent the certification, the electoral votes don't go out or whatever, right? Now, when this happened, there was an immediate outcry from even the people who are who are the other people on the legislature calling these people racist because the only district they wanted to like decertify would have been Detroit, which is uh, Wayne County, which is a very heavily uh, black uh, region district in the United States, right? And so they were like, you're racist. The stain of racism that you, William Hartman and Monica Palmer, have just covered yourself in is going to follow you throughout history. Your grandchildren are going to think of you like Bull Connor or George Wallace. Monica Palmer and William Hartman will forever be known in southeastern Michigan as two racists who did something so unprecedented that they disenfranchised hundreds of thousands of black voters in the city of Detroit because they were ordered to. Probably, I know, Monica, you think Q told you to do it or some other crazy stuff like that. But just know when you try to sleep tonight that millions of people around the world now on Twitter know the name Monica Palmer and William Hartman as two people completely racist and without an understanding of what integrity means or a shred of human decency. You, the law isn't on your side. History won't be on your side. Your conscience will not be on your side. And Lord knows, when you go to meet your maker, your soul is going to be very, very warm. 
two hours later, they actually certified the vote. Okay? So then what was the case? They then basically went to court after they had met with Trump. So here's the thing. Then Trump went and met with these two Michigan legislators and met with them. And then they went to court and they basically were arguing takesies backsies, (laughs) (laughs) which is not a legal thing you could do. (laughs) And so (laughs) it's so amazing. So they went to court and they were just like, look, we voted, but we voted because we were under pressure. Now, here's the thing. You could make some sort of case there by saying, like, there was undue pressure, like someone had a gun to my head, and that's why you shouldn't count my votes, right? You can't really do it by saying they called me a racist, so I changed my mind. I I don't think that would have held up in court, but you could make a case. But they didn't even make a case, okay? What they did was say, we felt compelled, and that's why we switch. Therefore, we didn't actually vote for them. But then, within that, they motioned to withdraw. Okay? Okay. And what that means is they said, we want takes these backsies, but we're not going to pursue this. So okay. Then, so then the court said, okay, we're not going to pursue this and basically checked off and agreed with them that we're not going to pursue this, which led to the best Trump tweet I've ever seen, which is people then were criticizing being like, oh, they withdrew their case. And Trump tweeted out, we withdrew because we won. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, it's it's none of it makes any sense. Yet this this was the case. And all this had happened before Joe Pollack and Ezra recorded this episode. And they still were like, this is the best shot Rudy has. Nuts. We withdrew because we won, Caitlin. <laughs> that is the case for, for why Trump actually still has a chance to win, even though he has no chance at all of winning. But then Ezra says the most amazing thing I've ever heard. He goes... Reminded of when Richard Nixon had the election stolen from him in 1960 uh, by the Chicago Kennedy Democrat machine. And he chose not to fight it. He said it would rip the country apart too badly. And he was a patriot first. I really believe that. So I had not heard about this at all. It came as like a a new experience. I was like, Kennedy stole from Nixon? Like, what the hell are they talking about? And uh, it was actually kind of interesting because there was some sort of controversy. And it had to do with votes mainly in Chicago. And some Republicans who worked with Nixon were trying to get him to like get recounts in Chicago's, uh, in, in Illinois, specifically in Chicago, because they blamed like the mobsters who secretly backed uh, Kennedy in some kind of like conspiracy theory. Now we know now that there's absolutely no evidence of this being the case, but it is interesting how, how similar that kind of accusation is to the kinds of accusations we're getting today in this election. But then it's also weird when you put it into context by Ezra saying that the that he hasn't seen fraud this bad since the 1960s election when Kennedy stole uh, it from Nixon, when Nixon then went and committed one of the most like well-known crimes in American history by breaking into the Watergate Hotel and spying on the Democratic campaign in an election that he was probably going to win in a landslide anyways. 
and then resigned because he didn't want to be impeached and is now known as the Watergate scandal. Like he's... <laughs> Which had to do with an election. And then, even to ignore the George Bush steal from Al Gore in 2000 which Al Gore legitimately won and the Supreme Court literally stepped in and took that election from him. How many Republicans in the past 60, 70 years have had some have had some movement to call into question the election? And how many Democrats have done the same? Almost none. I mean, the closest thing you'll get is maybe Russiagate. I will end by saying that Joel Pollack said the most amazing thing to close out this uh, interview they have. Mail-in voting creates the impression of fraud even when there isn't fraud. <laughs> <laughs> it's fraud. We just haven't found out how it's fraud. Because we don't like the results. Yeah. And it just it's just an impression. You know, there's 100% absolutely no evidence that there's fraud. And Pollock agrees with that. But it feels like fraud. And therefore, all these lawsuits and these shenanigans are perfectly fine and acceptable. I have a, a mildly infuriating, yet maybe hopefully positive uh, turn uh, for our proactive segment. And it actually is something that Ezra covered in his show. So one of his episodes, he decided to go on this long spiel about how there was this woman who apparently chose euthanasia instead of going into uh, the second lockdown, was basically how he framed it. He then goes throughout the whole episode uh, basically saying that, as you can tell, how all these lockdowns, they just cause a bunch of depression. And this perfectly fine 90-year-old woman just chose to kill herself. And that's terrible. And then the family sat around and were so happy that she chose to do this. And what, what crazy society we live in that all this happened. Now, I thought this was a weird story. I mean, it fits in with that weird narrative that he's coming up with, which is that like Quebec has high death numbers because of uh, their pro-euthanasia and not because of COVID, which he still has provided absolutely no evidence that this is the case. Not to mention that this case in particular that he's talking about is from Ontario. Mm -hmm. But it turns out this woman, her name's Nancy Russell. She's an, she was 90 years old. And after the first lockdown, her health was deteriorating. The thing is, Nancy Russell has been a lifelong advocate of medical assisted uh, assisted death, and one of one of her wishes was to go out this way, and she was realizing after the first lockdown, my health is deteriorated. I now have the opportunity to get what I want because I don't want to. I don't want to wait until the second lockdown comes, and I don't get to spend my last moments with my family, and I also don't want to be put in a position where the second lockdown comes in, my health deteriorates even faster, and now I'm deemed unable to consent to this procedure. So she consented. And yeah. she passed away. And it was her choice, her lifelong choice, 
that Ezra is now using that somehow this has to do with the lockdown specifically, when really the lockdowns only affected the timing of something that she wanted to do in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was absolutely fucking repugnant of him to do that. And so I wanted to say that Nancy seems like a totally awesome person. And not only that, in her obituary, she promoted like every indigenous cause in Canada, including 1492 Land Back Lane, and had a donation to their cause in her obituary for people to donate to 1492. And I thought that was base. That is so totally awesome. And Nancy Russell sounds like the coolest 90-year-old ever. <laughs> and I wanted to give some respect to her and her wishes. Uh, and the fact that her her narrative of her story and what she wanted to go through was tarnished by Ezra. And I think to counteract what Ezra did, the best way to honor her memory is to ask everyone to donate to 1492 Lane And if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we will be doing Twitch streams every Friday at 8 p.m. I'm actually going to start doing additional Twitch streams of, like, rebel-adjacent content. And by adjacent, I mean political, but not uh, not directly rebel-related, <laughs> you know? Because right now, our Friday streams are just me responding to rebel content. Yeah. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes, including uh, where you can watch these live streams. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striadam.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, Tricky Dick Nixon did nothing wrong. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?